Hello everyone, welcome to episode 35 of ZK Live. Tonight we have John from Paint School. Uh, I always forget the name of his company because I always interact with him as Paint School. Uh, we John has a very successful painting company that he's built in California. And we're going to dive deep into probably a lot of business stuff. Um, also, he's, he painted quite a bit, so we'll probably talk about some painting stuff. Uh, the nuts and bolts of it as well. Um, very excited to have him on. I've got to meet John in person before, which is always cool. Um, we met at PCA, got to hang out for a little bit. One more uh, reason to go to PCA Expo. Hey, John. What's up, man? How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You guys been through that black gloss project? <sighs> <laughs> we got some PTSD around that one. Yeah. Um, all right, we don't have to talk about it. No, it's okay. It's all good. I, I, yeah. You know, we'll get it done. I was able to call in the world's best gloss team Yeah. Uh, on a last-second phone call, and we have five of the best craftsmen in the country crushing one. Cool. Now you just got to not worry about it and wake up again tomorrow and do it all over, right? only do what I can do and the rest I have to like that's a big deal in uh, the painting business it's you not know is not worrying about everything you know especially as you grow and take on more projects not worrying about every little thing all the time you know there's too much stuff going on yeah how do you do it <laughs> uh, I compartmentalize things really well so I don't really take much stress home with me or anything like that I don't take anything personally. You know, it's like, it's business, right? If a customer is upset with me about something, it's business, we're doing the right thing to fix it. You know, people make mistakes. It is what it is. We're gonna do the best thing we can to fix it, right? Make it right. <clears throat> so I feel confident in that and comfortable in it. Well, you're I know we're doing right by them. I know that if somebody else made that mistake, they might not, right? We're handling it the best way that anybody could. So it's fine. Was it, was it always that way for you? Uh, probably most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't take it personally so much, but I would, I would be worried about my image, you know? Worried about image if I made a mistake on a project or something like that. Um, now it's been long enough to where I'm not worried about image because I know like that one project is not going to hurt my image, right? Like we're bigger than that one project or bigger than one unhappy customer. I never want them, right? I never want to have an unhappy customer and I do everything I can to not have one, but I know if they come and they're going to come, right? I know if they do, it's, it's not the end of the world. You know, we're, I know that we're a solid company and we're legit. We're above board all the way. Um, and if we have to pay someone else to make it right, we will, right? It's like whatever it takes to make it right, to make sure that we're fulfilling our end of the deal. We'll do it, you know, no doubt. So, you think some of it has to do with like your just cool California vibes that you have? <laughs> uh, I know that my temperament is very mellow. <laughs> uh, I've been told that a lot, and I think it helps, you know. Uh, I'm definitely not a very anxious person, you know, I do a lot to mitigate stress. Um, but yeah, it definitely helps, you know. I think if I'm calm, and cool about the situation, they're more likely to be the same, right? They'll match my emotion, typically. Um, 
And every now and then I get someone who's not going to, but it is what it is, right? Solve it and move on to the next one. Eventually it'll all be a memory, yeah. right? I respect that. I, res I, I definitely don't come from, uh, my nature is not to be like calm, chill. <laughs> you just like roll with the punches and it, it, I can see there's a great advantage to that because you, it does, you don't have to work as hard as I do to, to have clear and good perspective. Right. You know, I have, it serves me well for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. Um, because what you, you have a billion dollar paint empire at this point, right? <laughs> Not quite. We're working on it. <laughs> well, we were working our way up there and then we came down a little bit, get things, um, some things short up. For people who don't know you, can you just give us like a rough idea of how you got into the business and how you got here? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I started painting uh, my last year in high school over summer with a girl I dated's boy, uh, brother, brother-in-law. He had a painting business. So I worked a summer with him, and then I worked for him after high school for a couple years. Um, I worked for three or four companies, like right out of high school while I was going to college, and then um, started doing like side jobs on the weekends, you know? that. So that was a time when... Uh, phone books still were in use, right? So I took out a couple of phone book ads, uh, like 30, 40 bucks a month. So I getting jobs from that, just little jobs. And I built a real strong niche in small jobs. You know, I was like a guy who was extremely reliable, um, showed up on time and would do a small project. I would come out and paint one door, right? And it's like, now you can go make 10 calls and not get somebody that's gonna paint one door for you, right? And if you get one person that says, yes, they'll paint it, they're probably not going to show up or they're going to show up late or whatever, right? Even now, there's still a niche for that. If somebody wanted to be a one-man shop and do small projects only and go make two or 300 bucks a day for the rest of their life, they could. You know, there's still a niche for that. But so that's, I did that for like two or three years, you know, just doing small projects only. Um, and then, you know, just slowly built, added on some employees, kind of, two steps forward, one step back, you know, that whole deal. And now I'm about uh, maybe like 21, 22 years in. And we've got, we hover right now around 20 employees, around 20 painters, um, plus an estimator and then myself. Um, and we're doing, this year we're probably on track to do like 1.7 or 1.8 million. Last year we did a little more, the year before that a lot more, but things went haywire <laughs> so we reeled it in and now we're we got a good profit margin and smooth sailing so far that's awesome what would you say your average job size is you probably actually uh we're about 5300 yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know those numbers <laughs> about 5300 a project and you know we get some that are as low as like 500 bucks but most of them are like I don't know. We do a lot that are like in the 10,000 range. We do a handful that are 20,000 plus. Um, but yeah, probably like five to 10,000 is pretty typical. So then what's your average crew size on a project? Two or three. So like on a, you know, like a $5,000 exterior, we're probably two or three guys and we'll do it in a week, right? Five days start to finish. Um, we schedule most of our projects for a Monday to Friday timeline. So we're starting on a Monday, we're finishing on Friday. Um, and I'll kind of build my crews around that. If it's a short project, you know, if it's long-term, we'll do a different setup, 
you know, right now we have a hotel that we're doing. And so that one, it's not Monday to Friday, start to finish. It's going to be going on for a couple months. Um, but the majority of our projects, kitchen cabinet refinish, interiors, exteriors, whatever, we try to almost always plan on Monday to Friday, start to finish, you know, and that's cleaner on the schedule. Um, that'll kind of dictate our crew size a little bit, you know, so if it's a bigger project, if it's an $8,000 exterior, we might have three guys on that one. If it's a $4,000 exterior, probably two guys, you know, we just kind of adjust it that way. And, and they're all employees. Is that right? All employees, all W2 taxes, work comp, the whole deal. It's expensive to do it that way. Um, you know, at the expo, there's a handful of guys that are doing really big numbers that are doing a subcontractor model. Um, and so we do have some subcontractors that will call on for projects. So we'll sub out projects, but all of our in-house guys are W2 employees. Um, the subcontractor model, I'm not sure how they all get away with it, you know, cause some guys treat like employees, right. But call, call them subcontractors. So you don't taxes, you don't pay workers comp. Um, but yeah, it's pretty strict in California. It's not a lot of gray area technically. Yeah. And, and I think, I I was talking with Nick Slavic about this, uh, yesterday, actually, when you get mm -hmm. to a certain size, I'm interested to, to, to find out from you, what size you think that is, where you have to be that much more above board, like across the board. Um, yeah. I was, you got a protection. Yeah. Right. You got to protect yourself. So yeah. for me, it was like, um, you know, when I had uh, probably like five or six years ago, I kind of stopped working on job sites and I still do from time to time. But um, before that, I'm working side by side with these guys. Right. For years and years. I know them really well. I know their families. I know me and mine. And, you know, um, but at a point I started getting to I have some guys that I don't know that well. Right. That work for me. And it's like, you know, maybe they're an apprentice, maybe they're, um, I don't know, one step above, you know, getting into a lead painter position. We just don't communicate that often. You know, it's like, um, I'm not on all the job sites all the time. I'm not, there are some I'm not at at all. So we don't communicate like on a regular basis. And I don't know what the, the depth of the character is, right? Like, I think I know. But I don't know completely. I don't know their family. I don't know how many brothers and sisters they have. I don't know how many, you know, like it's uh, it's more removed, right? My foreman know them really well. They get to know them really well, but I don't know them really well. And so the, I mean, if you're paying somebody under the table or you don't have workers comp and they get hurt, like then you're like fudging numbers to try to make it work, right? Like it's, there's stuff you can do to try to get away with stuff like that, but you just have risk, you know, and is the risk worth saving the money? You know, for some people it is, but it's not the right way. You know, I mean, you should be able to charge enough to where you can cover those costs, you know, pay things the right way um, and then have the protection. Right. If you're not, you probably should charge more. I, I would agree. I think that's generally the rule is, uh, charge more yeah. um, <laughs> for most people I, most people never find that line of what you can charge and what you can't charge right like most people hover really low and if they don't get a couple jobs because somebody said the price was too high they think 
oh, I got all my prices are too high. I keep all my prices down, right? But yeah. maybe that client got bids and yours is also low. It's just higher than the other two low ones, right? Yeah. But if we came and bid it, they'd be like, okay, your price is in the middle now, right? It's like, it's relative. There's no standards. That's the problem. It's crazy. I know. We're working to change that little by little, but. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah very interesting when you get to a certain size how you have to be really covering your butt also like when i first started i didn't have a dollar to my name you could yeah. see all you wanted like it did it wasn't <laughs> and <Right. laughs> i think that that's part of it is is also now as as you build a company that has more value you have more to lose there's yes. all that um yeah. combined with not having that close relationship. I was listening to uh, a podcast. They were interviewing people um, that had like 130 painters, 100, you know, 100 painters, 130 painters. And I mean, they're, they're running a corporation. Like, the, yeah. like there's safety officers. There's yeah. the protocols that they were going through for COVID were unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, and they're working in hospitals and doing all those things. But I think I was listening to that and comparing and contrasting that to my seven man company, seven person company that, you know, we, we just, we have flexibilities in a, in a way because we are like a small family yeah. versus this like distant relationship you have as you grow because you just can't yeah. have that with everybody. Yeah. Look, I mean, it, if I were, when I was a smaller company, I sold the idea that, Hey, I'm owner operated company. You want to go with some big corporation who's who you're never going to talk to the owner. You're never going to know him. You're just a number right now. If I'm a bigger corporation, I'm saying, Hey, we're here to stay. We're going to be in business 20 years from now. That small guy is working on a job. He might be out of business next year. Right? Yeah. It's like the, the different pitches, but yeah, I mean, as you get bigger, like, so as we grow, we have to have a more sophisticated program. Right, like every stage has to be, has to envelop more uh, potential issues. Right, we have to have more checkpoints, more um, protocols in place to mitigate issues. Um, when we're smaller, when it's like me and three other guys, like I don't have to have anything in place. You know, like I'm, I can touch everything and affect everything immediately. You know, there doesn't have to be a plan for if we put a hole in a screen. Right. It's like, I'm there. I, I can figure it out right on the spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as we grow, it's like, we have to have more and more protocols, like at every stage. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. going to share a, uh, I'm going to share something with you that uh, I think is kind of funny and is a little in, intimate. But when I first like came across to you on social media, I actually mm -hmm. saw a video of you describing i believe some something about your sales and lead process and this like like flow chart of all these programs and apps <laughs> and and it was so sophisticated and i felt so less than when i saw <laughs> i was like screw this guy <laughs> you know that defense that you get when you see somebody that's like doing really well and that like little inner child in you is like my yeah. first was like oh <laughs> right yeah. it long to get past that because i'm an adult now yeah. but yeah like 
<laughs> go into that a little bit because it's it was fascinating and i that video was awesome and i've watched it a number of times yeah um and i think that speaks to the sophistication that you're talking about yeah so we have a whole so first off i hired a business consultant uh before putting that all together right and so we would meet and discuss basically scaling the comp how to scale the company up right how to grow it how to get things streamlined how do we make a repeatable process, you know, so it'll work every single time, no matter what. Right. Um, so we did that for three or four months. You know, I paid him like a hundred bucks an hour or something like that. And I would just go to his place. We'd sit down and like work through a new project, right? Like, okay, what's a problem we have getting colors in, getting them confirmed, getting them signed off by a client. How do we solve that? How do we make it automatic? You know, so we build this template, link it on the backside of our website. And when a client signs a document, they get an automatic color, color selection form, right? They fill that out themselves. It pops into our, our little system, right? So I could, oh, even now, right? Like I had somebody three days ago, is like, hey, do you remember what my colors were? It's like from 2017, go to my color selection form and here you go, here's your colors, right? Um, so we started working together and then I hired that guy on full time. You know, and so brought him on full time and then he helped me build this whole system. Right. So, but, but it's basically a whole automated flow. You know, it's like client comes in we have a CRM system that we use. Um, so we're just entering, you know, name, phone number, address, um, uh, where the lead came from. Right. Um, and then from there, once we make an appointment with that client, we convert the lead. And then it goes into QuickBooks, it goes into Google Drive, it goes into the calendar, it goes into like they get a color selection form started, all this stuff happens just automatically. You know, and it's it's really a very simple concept. It seems complex, um, but it's a really simple concept, you know. It's, it takes somebody to know what they're doing to set it up. Uh, but there's some people out there that will that do it as like, you know, their side gig or whatever. Um, but that makes all this stuff happen automatically. You know, it's like before that I would rely on other people to remember all those steps, which they wouldn't, you know, they would forget to send one, a reminder or whatever, forget to put it in the calendar, you know, or, or type in the phone number wrong in the calendar, type in an address wrong in the calendar, you know? So it's like, Hey, we're at the house. Nobody's answering the door. Oh, it's the wrong address. Right? Like all kinds of stuff like that. So this thing sends it everywhere. Um, and then even from there, you know, we type them an estimate in QuickBooks, send that, they get an automatic signature page that goes behind that. Um, if they sign the signature page, they get an automatic email that comes behind that. Thank you for signing. Here's your color selection form, right? Like it's, we have so much automation for all that stuff. It's nice because I don't think about it that often because it just ha it happens, you know, and for our clients, it's like, we look so much more professional than like 99% of the other companies out there, right? Because it's like they're getting welcome messages and confirmations for their appointments and, you know, and our confirmation email for the appointment, you know, we confirm an appointment for tomorrow at two o'clock. Um, they get an email that says, okay, your appointment is confirmed with so-and-so estimator at this address at this time. Uh, attached is our workers comp and our liability insurances, please make sure if anyone's working in or on your home that they have these policies, right? 
So we're trying to cancel out people that aren't insured right out of the gate, you know. Um, our email, our, our estimates are super professional looking, like we usually get comments on those, how they look so much more professional than the other companies. So just at every stage, like we're trying to make it so they feel like they're taking a risk if they don't go with us, right? Like our price might be higher, maybe our price is a thousand dollars higher, but look at our whole system compared to their, right? The other guys, it's like not even comparable, you know? But maybe that thousand bucks is the difference for them. So they choose someone else. But in their heads, they're taking a risk, right? That's kind of the position I want to put them in as. And in my personal opinion, they are. They are taking a risk. Like, we're not going anywhere. We're going to stand behind everything that we do. If something fails, we're going to fix it. So, yeah, you, I believe you are taking some risk, right? And not to say that these small companies can't kill it. You know, there's a lot of guys like on Instagram that are small shops that are killing it doing awesome custom work like Turner is doing like awesome like cutting edge stuff you know and he could stay small forever and just have a schedule booked out as far as he wants and charge more per hour and whatever you know um but those guys are few and far between yeah. you know it's not like you're you're not getting you know you probably make 20 calls 30 calls to find someone like you know, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. A lot of automation we have set up. Yeah, I think it's tremendous. And it, it, I have a long ways to go, but, you know, you're definitely an inspiration to try to get better with that stuff. I just hired an assistant. She's going to help with yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. You're in a position, too, though, where, um, you know, being like in a niche market where you can kind of rule it put you in a different boat you know you don't have to get all the automation like you should you specifically because you're doing high-end work high-end clients you know you should give them the nordstrom's service right where it's like anything you wish <laughs> we will do right yeah. um and so like that look right that look is nice you know reminders automation automatic messages thank you messages thank you cards right like that kind of stuff because it looks good, you know, it looks nice. Like a thank you card from you after a project a month or two months later would be a good reminder to them. Oh yeah, ZK did our place three months ago. Hey, there you go. Thanks, <laughs> nice. Arnie, this is one of the first things that she did. Hey, there you go. So like, look, a handwritten card with the hand signature, it goes a long way, you know? And even if like, it's probably ideal if you send it a little bit later so you just remind them of you, you know, yeah. and then they're at a party with friends and they just got that card last week and somebody's talking about redoing their kitchen. Hey, we had this company that was amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody needs to do that. You know, it's like there's certain certain uh, types of businesses that are okay to just be small forever, you know, and that's not a bad gig either. You know, it's like, you can make pretty good money being a two or a three man shop, you know? I think the caveat to that is those guys need to be significantly more expensive per hour than we are. Absolutely. And yeah. that's so rare is when you do see yeah. these guys that are two and three man companies, mm -hmm. I spoke to a guy today who actually was doing that. Um, but the people that I know that are successful as a one and two man company are, they're charging, you know, 
much higher hourly. They're billing at higher hourly rates than you and I do. Right. And a lot of companies are charging less though. Most of their two or three man shops. Most of the time yeah. less than us, which yeah. doesn't make yeah. any sense. I'm so I know. I know. I agree. It's, it's gotta be fear, right? Fear of not getting a project fear of, yeah. I think a lot yeah, of I mean, I, like they don't, they feel like there's, I've talked to guys and they think they're taking advantage of their charter. They're screwing over their right. client. Right. And it's, wait a second, you got to take a step back. Let's look at the numbers. Like, yeah. are you doing really well financially? Right. Cause if not, you're not taking advantage of anybody first of right. all. And yeah. you're a great value. You're the owner. You show up every day. You are going yeah. to be faster and better than any employee is. Yes. Generally, uh, and you sure have more skin in the game. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. But yeah, I think if yeah, I think if they could step back and look at it from like a custom builder, like a custom a designer, um, a custom leather goods maker, a custom handbag maker, a custom shoe maker, they're charging like sky high prices, right? Because it's like craftsmanship, right? Like handmade. Right. If you looked at painting, doing this type of work, refinishing work as something like that, where owner operated, custom craftsman style, hand done, like that concept, it might make sense to charge higher prices. You know, that's probably the angle I would take. Right. It's the same thing I was saying earlier, where I would outsell the big companies because I would say, hey, we're small. We know exactly what's going on every day. We don't have mistakes. We don't, you know. We're not running 10 crews out here or whatever. And then they see my company come with 10 crews and they're like, oh, are you guys going to forget me? <laughs> yeah. Like, I would totally fight that. Yeah, the other way. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. I, I think hopefully social media is helping. I know I've, I've talked to a number of guys and yeah. helped them. Every time the first question, the first thing I say is like, you, I guarantee you're charging too, you're not charging enough. And if yeah. you feel bad about how you're charging, how about this? How about how you're undercutting the market and you're undercutting right. all of these people's livelihoods by not charging enough? How about that? Yeah. Karma? yeah. And, and it's, that's a whole other side. Yeah. And we're all, yeah. if everybody races to the bottom, we're all going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. We get, we probably have like, um, I don't know, maybe four or five companies in, in our area that are real competitors, you know, that are really like at our level. Um, and I, I've met with these guys, like um, I've taken a few of them out to lunch and stuff like that, just to talk shop. And there's plenty of work for all of us, you know, like we could all triple in size and there's still plenty more work to do. Um, but if I'm bidding a project and, you know, they say, oh, we're getting some other estimates, you know, from other companies or whatever. And if I ask which, which companies you guys have an out, if they name off a couple of these other companies, then I'm like, cool. You know, I'll even tell them, like, that's a good company. Like, they're probably our only real competition around here, right? Because I know their prices are going to be similar to ours. I know that they're a long-term business. They're going to be in business in 10 years and 20 years. They're going to stand behind their work. You know, they're paying taxes. They're paying workers' comp. Like it's all on the same level. So I don't have any problem losing a project to them, you know, but choose one of us, you know, don't like go with the one that's half the price. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there's a thousand companies that are going to be half the price or whatever, 25% less than us. Um, 
but those companies come and go. The economy gets really good. Everyone's a painter. Economy gets really bad. They're all out of business, you know. And what weird market, dilemma. We didn't tell everybody what your market's like and what is it? What it's like? Where, first of all, where is your market? Where? Oh, uh, Huntington Beach, California. We're in Orange County, California. So we're Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Laguna Beach, San Clemente. Um, so it's you're huge. pretty curved for your, your hat bill is pretty curved from a guy for a guy from Orange. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't born here. Great bills that go up in the air. <laughs> no, I wasn't born here. Maybe that's why. But I do have a lifted truck, so that's a, a giveaway. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's, like, we just work along the coast. You know, we're a coastal company. Um, we only cover maybe, I don't know, I guess, like, 25 miles up and down the coast, something like that. Um, we don't have to travel very far for work. And it's like there's... We could literally probably triple or, or quadruple in our area and not have to go outside of it still. There's just so much business. It's just construction everywhere all the time. Everyone's remodeling every few years. Real estate prices keep going up. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's crazy here. But, and we're like booming right now, <laughs> which I think everyone is surprising all the painting companies. It's crazy. It's weird. Doesn't yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Or not to worry about what's coming when no one's working, but yet everyone's got money. I know. I don't get it. I, I feel like it's going to come to some kind of slowdown at some point, like over the next year. Um, but who knows? So what's we'll the see. limiting factor in your growth, like in the company size and where you're going? Is it is it finding guys? Uh, no, I don't. Now, because we could train people, you know, I, a lot of guys um, have the reason or the excuse that they can't find people, you know, and I think that's probably not true, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, every corporation finds people all the time and runs their multi-million, billion-dollar companies pretty smoothly every single day, 365 days a year. You know, like they're not finding rocket scientists to come work for them. That's why they're so, so successful. Target, you know, operates however many locations seamlessly all year round. And it's not because they just find amazing employees all the time. They just have a good training program. They have good protocols. You know, they can get someone up to speed. They have decent management, you know, and probably a good management program. Um, so... No, I definitely don't think that's an issue. It's more of our systems to manage the next level, you know, to like, you know, we've got to get a project manager in for sure. And then um, probably another person in the office to really add on 10 more, 15 more guys, you know. And right now it's like things are so comfortable, like with the job flow, with the amount of people, the amount of projects, the money's good. You know, it's like, I don't have a real reason to yeah. rock the boat. You're huh? yeah. Never mind rocking. <laughs> right. That's the thing. You know, we, we went up um, almost, almost twice the size two years ago. 
and we were pushing like 3 million in sales. We had 35 to 40 employees, um, two more people in the office. And it was like pulling my hair out all year long, you know, like the, the, the sales numbers looked great. Right. It's like, man, we might hit 3 million this year. Right. But it's like, I have no money in the bank. Like we're floating payroll because we're doing so many projects. We're just getting deposit checks every day in the mail, right? Or every other day, we're getting a few thousand constantly, almost literally every day. And so our deposit checks are floating any money that we don't have, right? Like cash flow is terrible. Cash flow is good because of deposit checks. Savings was terrible. Um, it was just stressful all year long, like super stressful. And we ended up like making no money at the end of the year. The next year we downsized and did a million dollars less in business and made more money. This year will be like 1.2 million less than, I think it was 2018, 1.2 million less than 2018. And we're going to make, I don't know, 15% profit. Some like, like crazy numbers just because we got our system cleaner, you know, like the, sales numbers sound good you know it sounds cool to say we did three million in sales but the net profit is where it's at man <laughs> that's the number you want to be high yeah yeah it's crazy but yeah so comfort right now and i'm not very good at just like sitting still you know and like just keeping things moving i i do constantly want to grow in some direction um but right now it's just streamline the systems, like get them ready, really ready to, to grow to the next level, you know? Cause once we put those other people in position, it probably will allow us to grow by like 10 or 15 more painters. Um, and then from there, it's like, we'll need another estimator after that, you know? And then we'll stack up another level of estimator, second project manager, more office staff. Um, and then another 10 or 15 employees, you know, that kind of deal. Like uh, Shoreline, you know, they've got all kinds of different positions, right? To run that many people. You know, it's funny, he was talking about like um, having somebody that like manages the warehouse, right? Somebody's managing tape and plastic and paper. You got to do it at that level. So they're on that job. I, Bill sent me a picture today. They have barcodes attached to their their uh, extension cords so yeah. their extension cords are plugged in and there's just barcodes on these little tags that are zip tied to the extension cord yeah barcodes those extension cords had been scanned out and scanned to that job this morning yeah. left the shop yeah and you know you just look at that and you're just like that's out of control yeah how so do you run a 90-man painting company profitably so that's, I was looking around, I've got barcodes around here somewhere. I've got a roll of barcodes because that's what we're trying to do too, right? Because it's like, even now, um, I have ladders that go missing. I have sanders, I have extension, everything. Like I have little things all over the place that just go missing, you know? Um, and I don't know necessarily that the guys are trying to steal from me or they use something at home, left it at home, whatever, who knows? Right. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt that people aren't just stealing. Um, but stuff goes missing all the time, you know, and if I times my 20 guys times five and now we have 100, how much more stuff is going to go missing? You know, like 
tape and paper and plastic. It's all not that expensive on its own, but you know, like we spend $250,000 a year on paint and sundries, you know, and it's like, I'm sure somebody could go in, I could pay someone like 800 bucks a week to just manage paint and sundries and it would pay for themselves. Yeah. Right. Just on the savings. Like there's, and as you grow, those are things you consider, right? It's like, can we save enough to justify the cost of someone to manage it? You know, employees clocking in and clocking out. Um, if everybody clocks in, you know, or, or gains a half hour per day times 20 guys is 10 hours, you know, that's 200 bucks a day, 250 a day. You know what I mean? Like one person can just keep an eye on everybody every single day and I could pay them 500 bucks a week and I would still save another 400 a week. You know, it's like, there's numbers like that that start to come up where you just start to like mitigate loss. You know, it's like loss prevention, <laughs> loss control, you know, where you can actually make up money in those areas, you know, even just, you know, downsizing from 3 million to one and a half or 1.7 we have so much less loss right now. You know, it's not that we're, we just are, are getting rid of all that loss. You know, we cut off all that fat and we're really profitable. Our numbers are good. You know, our estimates are good, but at that level, it's like, you know, if a couple guys on a crew um, are buddy buddy and they're the only two on the job and they want to go have a two hour lunch, I might not hear about it. Right. I might not know they took a two hour lunch. You know, if one guy leaves three hours early and his buddy covers for him, I might not ever know that that happened, you know? Um, so, you know, it's stuff like that where our, our system for reviewing projects and reviewing the budget after the fact wasn't tight enough to run that many people, you know? Cause if it were, we would know like that project lost $400, you know, why did it lose 400 dive into it, investigate it, is it an estimator issue? Is it a on-site issue, material issue, whatever, and nip it in the bud before you just keep making the same mistake over and over, you know? Yeah, I think size, scale definitely exposes those leaky, you know, yeah. often I'll, I think like that. It's like when you're, when you're small, it's easier. It doesn't feel as painful to be super inefficient, but it's right. more important. But but when you're inefficient by 10%, it might be a couple hundred dollars versus right. thousands and thousands of dollars when you get yeah. bigger. But definitely, yeah, it's just, a, it's just compounded, you know? It's like somebody who does one project per week, maybe they have, um, I don't know, an accident on the job site or they break something on a job site, one out of every 10 projects, one out of every 20 projects, let's say. Well, we do 10 projects a week. So we still have one out of every 20, but that's one every two weeks, right? That's one broken thing every two weeks if you're doing that many projects. It's still the same odds. It's just compounded. It comes faster, you know? And so it's easier I have, to address in some ways. What's that? So it's, it becomes easier to address because you actually see it. Right. When you're yes. the list, and you, I did this in the past year. I don't know. I had probably 15 nine inch roller handles. I know I had five 18 inch roller handles for a company of two people, three people. But it's like how many times you don't have the 18 inch roller handle and you go out, you have to run out, you leave the job site and you go buy another 18 inch roller handle. 
because the other one's yeah. an a 45 minute drive away or 30 minute drive away. Right. Like, I used yeah. to accumulate all of these tools, like duplicates, <laughs> triplicates and quadruplets, like, you know, and all those things where it's like, oh, it's only 40 bucks. Right. Right. Because it's small, it feels the numbers are smaller, but the percentages are just as big. Right. Oftentimes, the smaller companies, we, when we don't know what we're doing, we, I had way smaller margins. I couldn't afford yeah. a 5% right. rate nearly the way a shoreline <laughs> could afford it. Their margin right. much better. And it's so yeah. funny when, you, I, when I talk to smaller guys, I was so guilty of that. And I think a lot of us are. When you're small, your mistakes don't feel as painful, even though oftentimes they can be worse. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's the the compounded thing really it it's across all lanes because it's like can be compounded profit, can be compounded loss, you know. There's it's way easier to to see savings on a big picture when you're looking at that volume. You know, it's like I don't know, 3 years ago, 3 or 4 years ago, um was the first time we asked for a discount on our pricing for paint. You know. And I'm not a kind of guy who's like who would shop my prices, who would pick company against company, anything like that. And we've been with this company and I've had the same sales rep for like 15 years, something like that. And um, never asked them for a discount on pricing, nothing like that, right? And when the business consultant came on board, he's like, why wouldn't you ask for a discount? You know, I'm like, I just, we charge enough, right? Like I don't, I charge for what it costs me. You know, like I cover my cost. I know what my cost is and I bill accordingly. He's like, all right, let me just run some numbers on it, right? He's like, do whatever you want, you know, I don't care, check the numbers. So then he's like, all right, look, if we just get like a 5% discount, you'll save $60,000 this year. I'm like, oh crap, all right. <laughs> That's a big number, right? All right, let's get a 5% discount, you know? Um, but like those not those little bits and pieces like you could save a little bit just on something small and insi insignificant but times a thousand is something real you know it's real money i yeah. it me today and, and tomorrow very soon i'm going to go ask for a discount on paint yeah. i i have a lot of friends chris from shoreline particularly who make fun of me a lot because I pay retail price for fine paints of Europe. Yeah. My dealer is an amazing guy. My my paint store, they nominated me and, and helped me get certified before I ever had the body of work that you really needed to have. They've supported yeah. me. They send me amazing referrals. And I've always just been like, you know what? Like, I'm cool with that, you know? Yeah. And then I like go buy paint in Boston from a company I've never bought paint from. And because yeah, I, better price. I instantly get like 10 or 15% off. And I was like, right. and then Chris pays for paint and I want to puke. And yeah. I'm just like, you know what? I got to stop paying retail and I'm going to have, yeah. a, I'm going to sit down. Cause I buy, now it's starting to really add up. We buy a lot yeah. more paint than we ever did. Yeah. And I'm paying full price for 155 yeah dollars for three quarters of a gallon yeah i glad we had this conversation because i it, this is going to yeah. spur me to go do that because i've just been putting yeah. it off forever yeah it's totally fair look i mean they're they have markups they have room for discounts you know we're 
the biggest buyer at this one location. We're the biggest buyer. You know, we bring them more business than anybody else does. And they have room for it. They treat us well, but they also want us to keep coming back. You know, like I don't, um, I wouldn't threaten them like, hey, if you don't give us a discount, going somewhere else, right? I wouldn't do that. Uh, but I do want them to take care of me. I want them to get my guys in and out quickly, you know? Um, but there's plenty of guys who, it's like squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? There's plenty of guys who are just on the sales rep all the time for lower price, lower price, lower price, you know? Sure. And we're spending a quarter million and we got somebody who's spending like 40 grand and they're getting better pricing than me, yeah. you know? So there's definitely room for them to. Paint a year? And What's that? Shoreline buys like well over a million dollars of paint a year. Yeah. And he's he's got his, I believe, his, he has, there's like a full-time employee at his supplier that just, they're yeah. just at account. Yeah. And he grinds those guys on price. Yeah. But he has leverage, yeah. right? Right. He, yes. that's, that's where I always like, I don't want to like flex my leverage in this situation, but yeah. it, what are we talking about here? This is business, you know, yeah. not a chip. Right. It's not personal. It's just business, right? It's not, it really, isn't a personal thing, you know, like I want to keep buying from you. I want to keep, I like the service. I like everything, but I think, you know, with the amount that I spend, I'm giving you guys enough volume. Let's talk about a discount. Right. Yeah. I had it's the reasonable store multiple times last this summer. He at five o'clock drove me a gallon of stain to a job site an hour and delivered it. And you know, those things are invaluable. The referrals, yeah are invaluable. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think I'm paying way too much for paint. So yeah. 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 My sales rep, um, you know, we've been together for 15 years or so. And yeah, I mean, he's down for whatever, like he'll do whatever, whatever I ask him to, you know, and, but I don't ask him a lot either. You know, he knows that if I need him to be somewhere at some certain time for some project walk or whatever, he knows it's, probably important to me, you know, so he'll do it. But I'm not on the phone with him every day, like some of these guys, you know, hounding him about whatever, you know, he's got some guys that are just on him all the time and they're spending a thousand bucks a month, you know, like, you know, whatever. That's where I think when you get to that next level and you have a purchasing, like someone's in charge of purchasing, mm -hmm. then it's not you that goes there and yeah. does it. And right then it's even more just business. Right. And yeah, when you become separated from like different pieces of the business, it really becomes a numbers thing. It becomes a whatever, you know, it's, it's not, yeah, you're just looking at a spreadsheet, you know, what does the health of the company look like? Right. And it's like, they're just numbers, you know? Um, I don't ever really want to have a company where I don't know the people that work for me, but, if it ever does get to that point, then I want the people under me to know those people really well, right? Like they're the face of my company. They represent me. Like right now, most of my foremen are guys that I've worked side by side with, you know, so they know how I like to do things. They know what I would do in a certain situation. They know how I'd handle a client, you know, like they, they can represent me pretty well. Um, which I think is important, you know, like empowering them to be able to kind of lead a project, you know, on site. Um, I think is really important. You know, it's like you're uh, the face of your company on site, you know. Yeah.
It's huge. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the hardest part to let go. And to yeah. Act. But yeah. <laughs> a lot of what we've been talking about here is you have to be out of the field to make a lot of this stuff happen. And I know for me, yeah. finally, my big step, some people ask some questions and we'll, we'll get to them in a minute, but someone has sort of talked about this. And I think for me, when I finally was like, I am not going to paint anymore. I'm going to force myself to stop, even though it's going to hurt me in the short term. Yeah. It, it magically, it allows you to start to see things from above and have all this extra time to build a company. And I think that that's obviously what you've done. What was your experience like when you first left the field? How did you make that happen? What did it look like? Uh, so I didn't want to do it unless I could manage the quality, right? That was the thing I was always afraid of. Like we, we built, um, a reputation for being like a really high quality company. And so I didn't, I, I only wanted to grow if I could manage that, if I could maintain it. Right. So, um, in the beginning it started out just like with two crews, right. And it's all guys that I know, all guys that have worked directly with me. Um, and just trying that out and trying to do more sales, you know? And so, but it was still like one foot in one foot out to some extent, right? Like it's, um, I don't know if it's crunch time, we need to get something done. If, if it's a really difficult project, right. If something's going sideways, right. And we can't figure out how to get this finished right. You know, then I'll, I'll get out there and work on it. Um, but there became a point where it's like our phone is ringing so much like I can't I couldn't do both. I couldn't do both. Well, you know, so um, letting go of the day to day on site was tough. Just because I, I couldn't 100% control the outcome. You know, so I had to be okay with like 95% control. And then figure out some protocols to get me up to like 98% control. You know, and so that's where I strive to be now is like 98% control, you know, so that I, I can know, I can predict what the outcomes are going to be. The 2% of, of not being able to control it, I got to train my guys well, you know, it's a training thing, right? Um, most of the mistakes or issues that we have now are only due to training. You know, it's like guys just do things the way that they learned rather than how I think they should do them. Um, but they just need more training. You know, it's not their fault necessarily. They learned some bad ways of patching or priming or sanding or whatever. Um, but training would have fixed it, right? If I had spent more time on training. So right now it's like my main focus is tightening up our systems to scale up and then figuring out how to do really solid training, you know, which is tough to do. You know, because we're we still put out a decent amount of work and asking a foreman to slow down his day so he could train somebody new. You know, it's it's a big ask. <laughs> it's so, a very special type of person. Yeah, to... definitely. Special learner and teacher. Right. You get a You got to kind of want to learn and you really have to want to teach. Right. It's not a lot of guys don't want to teach so much, <laughs> you know. Especially the guys that are really good at that. Yep. They didn't get by teaching it all the time. They did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, the, 
the whole training side of things, you know, I've been trying to figure out and kind of mapping out some training protocols and, you know, we put some stuff on the back end of our website, like employees only, you know, employee only access, um, to do training stuff, but it's still, I almost need to hire somebody like to come to the shop, make me do six hours of training videos and then post them for me, you know, like that's probably what's going to happen next. Cause I have to get the training nailed. You know, it's, I can't, I can't not do it. I'm not going to grow anymore until I get that part taken care of. Um, it's all simple stuff, really simple concepts, you know, how to prepare something is a really easy concept, but if I have a newer guy to the company and like a lot of the, a lot of foremen want to be like, okay, you know how to paint. Okay. Go take care of the baseboards. Right. We need to get them ready to paint, go ahead and sand them and patch them. Right. And they just let them go, you know, assuming, you know, how, how I know, right. You know, my way of doing it, let them go. And it's like, Oh, the caulking's a mess. The, all the nail holes are sunken in like, you know, and then they paint over it thinking it was done right. And then it's like, Oh, we got touch ups everywhere. You know, but that could have been taken care of really easy with some simple training, you know, all that, all the kind of loss that we have now is, is really just training, you know, even for foremen, just training for them, keeping up on our client communication, keeping up on starting a project, closing out a project, just training stuff. It's not rocket science. You know, I think that a lot of finish work, fine finish work, uh, becomes more of an artistic thing. And I think that's high skill, you know, that's not something just anybody can learn. Um, but under understanding a concept of how to get good adhesion, that is a thing you can be trained to do, right? That's more of a science thing. It's not art, right? Um, how to prepare a surface. If it's peeling, that's more scientific, not so much art. You know, a lot of these things are, can be taught to anybody. Whether someone's going to show up on time, try any of that stuff, that's character. So whatever, but, but as far as training somebody, getting an apprentice or getting somebody that has some experience and then training them up, uh, is totally doable, you know, but you gotta be on it. You know, I, I go through spurts where I'm really good about training for like two weeks and then a little worse on the third week, a little worse on the fourth week. And then I haven't done it in two months. You know, it's like the, time slips away. So I, I just need a more formal system. I've been waiting for like you or PCA to have a real legit system. We're working you know, on that. I can just point all my guys to. Yeah, I know I might. Huh? We're working with the PCA. Yeah. Uh, that's my goal. Cause they have, they, they have those, um, those basic ones. Um, yeah. and I think what we're finding is a lot of this stuff can be done remotely, you know, but then there's a lot of stuff that has to be done in person too. There's other stuff that needs to be done in person. And that's where what we're really focusing on with ZK finishing school is going to be the stuff that you really do need to kind of do it and see it and yeah. feel it to, yeah. to get it. And but that's think, different. That's art. That's the art. Yeah. And that's yeah. not now. Our, my goal is my goal is in the future to have a traveling the ability to travel and teach a wider range of skills. That's not just the ultra high end stuff. If we can get really good at teaching, I think we can develop 
uh, apprentice level classes where we could come into town with a tractor trailer with all the stuff unload out right there people in the area could send their guys and really quickly or or the idea of the training the trainers is always big too that's that's the holy grail if you can figure out how to do it um so i think my goal is definitely to someone needs to do this and the pca side and i think if we can work together and i'm going to start small and teach what i already know and i can do what i've done before um i think the goal is definitely to build that into a larger facility and then start to have the budgets to be able to have somebody just dedicated to building out all these all these classes yeah this has been something that's that has been on my mind for years to do right paint school that name is was originally for this idea right it's like whoever figures out how to put together legit system, like look if you could do some kind of accreditation even if it's just bs right it doesn't it's not you're not actually accredited anywhere but you become reputable and you go through an apprenticeship program in phase one phase two phase five whatever you completed the apprenticeship program um like me as a business owner i would pay for one of my guys to go there right or to get that training if it cost me a thousand dollars to go to five classes and they get basic understanding of all these phases uh yeah it's totally worth it to me right if i can get somebody like there's a lot of value in that and for someone like me to be able to put somebody through a program like that and have them come out and i know that they understand all the basics right they have a working knowledge of these 10 areas or whatever there's a lot of value in that you know i I mean, it's it, it's big business, and there's nobody that does it well right now. Um, Serta Pro, uh, they have a franchise, and they put together a, um, I think a warehouse or something like that, where they're trying to do a school for their franchisees. Um, I hate to cut you off, but I'm super paranoid about this this countdown. There's oh, a yeah, minute, yeah. minute left. I'm gonna end it. We'll yeah. hop right. Welcome back to part two of ZK Live, episode 35 with John from Paint School. We've been talking about running the paint, running a painting business. Uh, right now we're talking about training and the lack of formal training systems in, the, in our world today and in, in our country. There's just not a place you can send your guys. So we're gonna continue our conversation. I'm gonna bring John right. We're gonna talk about um, we're gonna we're gonna solve the world's problems right here in the next thirty minutes, uh, as it relates to training of painters. There we go. See me? Yeah. So you're saying Serta Pro has done something to try to? Yeah. So they built out a facility. Um, I'm not sure if it's completed or if they're still in in process of building it. But they basically bought out a warehouse, and it's just going to be a training facility for their franchisees. You know, so they're a franchise company. They've got, I don't know, 10 companies out here where I live, uh, but they're all over the country. And, um, but yeah, like that concept, I don't know how well they're doing it, you know, but that concept would hypothetically bring a lot of value to a company. You know, if you could have your guys go uh, basic preparation, basic understanding of painting fundamentals, basic brushwork, basic rolling work, spray work, spray preparation, 
uh, cabinet refinishing, like all this stuff has a lot of value. And just basic etiquette. What's that? I yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent for a foreman. How do you start a job? How do you close a job? How do you start the morning? How do you finish the afternoon? Right? Like that stuff is really important to a client. You know, it's really, really important. Um, how you show up, right? Like we have this system where our whole scope is in the schedule, you know? So we have our schedule, we clock in, clock out of that. It also has our whole scope of work for the project. So all the guys have access to that. And guys will show up to a project and with a client, um, you know, hey, good morning. Hi, we're here at JQ Paint. Um, okay, what are we doing here, right? And the, and the guys don't say that meaning like we don't know what we're doing here. They mean it as in, hey, let's walk through the project. What do you got for us today, right? But a client looks at that and it's like, don't you know what you're doing here, right? Like, you know, and the guy's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I do know what we have, you know, whatever, right? It's like this awkward start to the day. Um, some people wouldn't matter to at all. Some people would think, oh, you guys don't know what they're doing. They got here and they asked me, what are we doing, right? And it's like, uh, right? And that you have this issue, you know? finishing out a day, right? Like if you paint a room and it has one coat and you're going back the next day to paint the second coat, well, that night when they go around to look at all your work, they look at that bedroom and think, oh my gosh, this looks terrible, right? Like they I hope they're not finished in here, right? It's like if the guys would have said, hey, this room only has one coat on it, we're going to do another coat tomorrow. Like just kind of a little recap of the day, what we're doing tomorrow, you know, get these areas ready, whatever the process goes so much more smoothly, right? It's like versus me getting a text at eight o'clock at night, the bedroom number two looks terrible. I don't know if you guys know what they're doing, right? Like I, I get those messages sometimes, you know, it's like, it's only one coat, you know, we'll take a look at it tomorrow. Whatever. Um, but yeah, just a little bit of training there, right? Like just a little finesse on how to tweak the conversation a little bit, how to kind of guide a client um, a little more where you want them to go, you know, it's they're really manageable things. They don't take a lot of effort, but you have to do it. You know, there's no always talks about like, where are you going to park? Like, especially on like yeah. job sites that some of the new construction we're talking about, like, don't mm -hmm. go park as close to the house as possible. Cause there's going to be guys who are yeah. going to be coming and going and they're going to want, but like, you're going to be there all day, park a little bit right. farther, walk. Or just like yep. all of those things that need to be trained and need to be taught to somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part is we have all these individual companies who are responsible for their own training and really it yeah. takes scale to, to make it worth, you know, to be good at it. So yeah. that's where I think I, we're starting small, but I, I have dreams of, growing this into a large organization that will team yeah. with a bunch of different entities to be able to actually afford, if you will, to spend the time and energy to build out a very thorough training process that is cost effective. And it's yeah. going to be something where we travel to make that happen for some group of people yeah. that don't want to travel to mm -hmm. us. But that's a long ways out yeah. right now, this weekend, we're just going to focus on super high level nerd paint stuff. Um, is this weekend your first, your first, uh, class? It is. Weekend? It is. Yeah. Nice. 
it's a cool idea look i mean it's like i said the when you get into certain types of finish work it's way more artistic than it is scientific you know when you talk about sanding something really flat it's not it's not as simple as it sounds right it's like if you put a sander on there and you raise one edge a little bit now you got a groove that you got to figure out how to get rid of you know it's like the pressure of the sanding uh all that little stuff matters a lot when you get into that level but it's something that you would need to figure out like you need to feel the pressure you need to feel how hard you go how often how many times are you sanding that door back down right it's like it looks pretty simple you know <laughs> it doesn't and look that hard recipe right i can hand you a recipe on how i do a gloss door and I, cause I thought all I needed was a recipe when I got, when mm -hmm. I first got into this whole world and I knew guys who were doing this at a high level, I, I really did just think like, give me the recipe. Tell me what sandpaper you're using, what machines you're using, what paint sprayers you're using, what's your thinning ratio, what's your fluid pressure, what's your PSI yeah. pressure. And I will get a gloss door that looks like yours. And yeah. it couldn't be farther from the truth. Right. And you have to actually try it before you realize how much it is an art and how much. And when I hired my consultant, I thought he was going to come out and give me a recipe. And I was so let yeah. down when he came out and spent four days with me <laughs> and I didn't end up with a recipe. And the answer was, right. let's break the paint. Let's go. Let's thin it too much. Let's, let's not yeah. thin it too much. Let's experiment. Yeah. Because guess what? The temperature and humidity are different. That's going to affect the paint. Yeah. So you can't just go, well, I thin it 30% every time, you know, and then, and then what happens if something goes wrong? Do you understand why it went wrong? And what are the parameters you can, right. things you can play with to fix it? And yeah, yeah. The, the art of it is, yeah, uh, does like Midway said, it takes, it takes practice. And yeah, with what we, with what the average paint company does, there's not, I know I didn't grow up with it. There's not a lot of time spent not producing work in the field right. you know that's just i didn't ever i don't think i ever spent a minute not just producing work in the field but yeah when i got into this high-end world it's like no you have to you don't go try that on a job like you gotta go <laughs> right. spend hours and hours practicing before you ever yeah. do it on site and that yeah. is a foreign concept to the average painter absolutely yeah i mean that's Troubleshooting is a big deal, right? Like the, I think as you have to do it more, you get better. Well, probably not everybody gets better at it, but understanding why things fail, what your options are to fix it. Can you replicate the failure, right? Like is the failure even repeatable? Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was whatever. Like, you know, some of the things that come up, it's like every now and then you get fish eyes on your paint and it's like, I didn't do anything different, right? Maybe it's the paint, maybe it's the sprayer, maybe it's the surface that we're painting on. Maybe, I don't know what, right? It's like, where is this coming from, you know? And you can troubleshoot your way through something like that, right? There's some solution to it, there's some answer. Um, but figuring that out, like, for me, it's been an experience thing. You know, it's like just having failures all the time, right? Not all the time, but for years and years and years, right? Lots of little failures, figuring it out, 
And at this point, like I've had so many of those types of issues that I know there's an answer. We just, how long is it going to take for us to figure it out? Right? Like it's not, there's not no answer. There is an answer to this. Um, but let's try these five things because those five things should get us to a, a solution. You know, this last week, we um, up a project where, uh, the paint sprayed a different color than it brushed. Yeah. We didn't brush it, but we, if you take the paint in the bucket and you like put it on a piece of paper, let it dry, it was a dead match to the color match it was supposed to on the chart. But if you put it in uh -huh. the sprayed it, it sprayed a shade lighter. And yeah. the first time this happened, I get the call and I'm like, we don't know that it, out of the gallon it's not right. We just know that it's a shade lighter. And I'm like, what yeah. the heck? Freaking Ilva reps. That I, they had at, they were going back and forth. They made me confirm which of these two colors. And of course the shade, the color up on the charts, the one that it looked like. So I'm like, did they yeah. really give me the wrong color after I confirmed it twice? So the guy yeah. comes down Monday morning, the paint rep comes to my shop. He mixes up the paint. He does the drawdown. It's a dead match. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I, I, he's like, I'm like, oh, I guess we didn't mix it enough. Yeah. I take that paint. I drive straight to the job site. We mix it up. I spray the cabinets, shade lighter. And I'm yeah. all right, I give up. <laughs> I got nothing at this point. Yeah. And apparently that's a thing that can happen. My paint rep said he'd seen it before. I've talked to other people that's happened to before. Something about the yeah. pigment, the lighter pigment rising to the surface. Mm -hmm. um, but we were able to run out to the paint store, get some black pigment and custom blend yeah. the paint to get there. Yeah. That's not that's something risky too. Yeah, well, it's terribly risky. I mean, we back in little bits, mix it. Hey client, what do you think? Yeah. Little bits, mix it. And, and eventually she, they got a custom color that nobody yeah. had, but you yeah. know, like better than the original color anyway. Um, but yeah. that, that kind of troubleshooting stuff is, that's yeah. what separates experience. I mean, that does just come from experience. Right. That's, yeah, I mean, that's like, uh, you know, people will ask us to spray interior smooth walls, you know, and it's like, we know from experience, if we spray those walls, we're never going to be able to touch it up. Like, you're going to have to respray a whole wall. If you put a brush on it, the color will probably be slightly different than from the spray, right? The sheen's going to be a little different. The color might show a little different. Um, if you're okay with that, I'm okay with it. But just know that we won't be able to touch it up. You know, you won't be able to touch it up, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's just because we thought we could do it 10 times and failed 10 times, you know? Yeah. Yes, we could spray those walls, right? And we sprayed them and touched it up. And it's like, oh, you know, nightmare. We got to spray it again. And then the next time, okay, I think we can figure this out. You know, we'll spray it again. Same issue, right? It's like, all right, well, we can't spray walls anymore, you know? But we made the, pro the mistake, whatever, five times or 10 times before we have a protocol now we just don't do it you know period yeah and that's where so, the longer you're in business all the companies that are successful they've been in business for extended periods of time and what makes them good is we we've just the longer you've been in business the more mistakes you've made right right it, yeah you have to make a bunch of mistakes yes absolutely and you know you for sure got to learn from them at some point um, but like the concept of fail faster, right? Um, I think it's for us, like, uh, 
you know, if we do eight or 10 projects a week, we fail quickly, right? It, ha it comes fast. You know, if we have, I can see if we're making the same mistake over and over again, I get a, a 40 project snapshot in a month, you know, or whatever, five weeks. And if, if we're making this little tiny mistake a lot, you know, it's like, all right, we have to change that. You know, we have to have a protocol in place so that it doesn't happen anymore at all. Um, but all those things I could let go when I'm a five man shop, you know, it's like, they're not that big of a deal because it only happens once every two months. You know, it's not that big of a deal. We don't have to worry about it. Um, which is part of the nice thing of being smaller, right? Is it's really manageable. You can control a lot of it. Um, but it makes your, you know, your life more difficult for you. I imagine you're in a fairly difficult position now with company size, phone calls, project walks, stuff like that. Um, I think for me, probably in like the 10 employee range was where it was like, before I had an estimator, you know, I was doing sales and then employees. And now it's different for you because your projects are going to be higher average cost, mine are lower. So we're doing more projects than you would, right? For you to get to a hundred grand looks way different than for me to get to hundred grand. Yeah. You know, I might have uh, 20 clients and you might have three or five, Apple. right? We're on right now. Yeah. Apple one. Right. So that's what I mean. So, those projects are great for me. Like we have this hotel project, it's 120 grand and I can just go there once a week, you know, and, and say hi and make sure we're still doing the right stuff and I'm gone, you know? Um, but for my residential work, it's like, you know, I'll make my rounds in the morning usually for any that I think like need a little extra explanation, any clients that I think need a little handholding, you know, anybody who I think it would really benefit the guys if I walked it with the client you know, make, put them at ease, puts my guys at ease, you know, kind of helps my guys out. Um, so I'll kind of pick whatever is priority, you know, and, and go visit those projects. Um, but before I had an estimator, it's like, you know, 10 people and we're doing five projects at a time and I'm answering the phone and I'm at the job sites every day and I'm picking up materials and I'm dropping off equipment. It was like, pull my hair out. You know, that was a tough, tough phase. And then if anything goes sideways on top of that, it's like, uh, I don't even want to paint anymore. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm, it gets crazy. We got to, we've definitely, ex, ex, not overextended, but we've extended pretty far on some, some capital outlay on you know, the, the booth retrofit was a huge investment. Um, yeah. Some tools and equipment. it turns out it's the wrong one, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's actually, it's working great. We have, we are uh, um, yeah. one pulley shy of it being perfect. Um, yeah. We need to change out the. It's a nice setup. Yeah, that's, yeah, it would be nice. Our real estate is so expensive here. So hard for me to get that kind of space. Yeah. You know, we've got a little office here. Well, we have a retail storefront. 30 minutes from my house and an hour and 20 from a lot of our work. Yeah. You know, that, that was sort of the, you know, we're in a very nice area for what I do for what we have here. Like yeah. it's yeah. A very blue car collar rural town in Rhode Island with yeah. not a lot of those, but it is. And so it's reasonably pr priced. It's got insulation. It's a newer building. 
the land looks yeah. cooler. Um, but we have to, it means that we drive to, to, yeah. And we could drive and have lesser cost, right? That's definitely an option. Um, but for me, my time is so valuable to me, you know, and my ease of being able to just pop in the office on the weekend if I need to, you know, pick something up, drop something off. My office is 10 minutes away from my house. You know, our work is, um, <laughs> so our work is like 20 to 30 minutes max, you know, we're driving around town and it's either like if, if there's track traffic in the afternoon, it's take PCH, you know, uh, it's, I, it was tough for me. We did some projects further away from time to time. Like LA is pretty easily two hours away with a little bit of traffic with no traffic. It's maybe an hour. There's a ton of business in LA. I mean, it's like Beverly Hills. It's all tons of money out there. If I wanted to do another location out there, it's, we could do 10 million probably. Um, but we've done a couple projects there and if I go there in the morning, it takes me two hours to get there. So I get there, I don't know, let's say I leave at six, I get there at eight, walk around for 15 minutes, check out a project, meet with the customer, whatever, and then drive back home and it's like 10.30, right? Just to do a 15 minute walkthrough. Um, and then from there, if we've got Laguna Beach, that's 30 minutes down south, you know? Like my whole day is gone and I visited two job sites. You know, it's like right now, the way that we keep it pretty close, I could pop in everywhere in 20 minutes. You know, it's like if, I don't know, we have something a client wants to meet today, I can just buzz over there. You know, it's really easy. And I think um, job is, is a key piece to that, right? I, mm -hmm. I drove yeah. an hour and 20 minutes north of my house today. Then I drove like two and a half, then I drove another hour and a half back and then I drove another hour and a half south and then another hour back to my shop and I'll drive 30 minutes north again. So I, it's a ridiculous thing. But yeah. that two jobs that'll total almost a quarter million dollars in two jobs. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a big difference. It's a huge difference. I'm not, yeah. you know, it, it just, I think that's yeah. why I opened up our range because the yeah. job size is Yes. So for that kind of work, um, for like really high end niche work and then for commercial work, it would make sense to travel. You know, if we did hotels all over the place and they're all, I don't know, two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar projects, then yeah, I could go to LA once a week, right? Once every two weeks, whatever, and then leave the guys there and we're just getting the project done for the next three months. You know, that's that for sure would be way more manageable on hours. We're doing volume. You know, so we're doing eight or 10 projects a week, every single week, yeah. you know, all year long. It's like, you know, that's another part of it where, you know, I have eight clients that I'm dealing with this week. I have eight clients that I'm collecting payment from last week. I have eight clients next week that we're picking colors on. I have eight clients the week after that, that, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, you better go close. Cause if you're driving, yeah. I drive. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's, it's a lot of people to be in contact with. It's a lot of people that have access to my cell phone that have access to my email, right? That can email me questions and all this. So in order to grow and not be like getting text messages all day long, we had to have certain protocols, 
you know, to not be getting emails all the time about questions that are really easy answers if we had preempted them. Um, you know, it's, it could just get out of hand so quickly, you know. So there's a question. Our friend Chroma Custom Painting asks, when early on in your company and working alone, what metrics are most important to monitor? Mm. Do that. Early in the company and working alone. So that's probably a really good time to keep track of um, how much time it takes you to do things. You know, start building uh, like um, production rates. Just, you know, if you're painting a bedroom, just think about what time you started, what time you finished, you know, how much paint did you use? And just, if I could go backwards, I would do that and start building a spreadsheet on it, you know? And then I would have had 500 bedrooms that I painted all timed. And I would know that my average time for a, a bedroom that's 186 square feet of wall space takes me 2.36 hours, right? Like you would know exactly, you know exactly what your average is. Um, so that would be one. And then I would start um, probably working on, it kind of depends if you want to grow or if you don't, right? If you want to be a three-man shop, you don't have to be that tight on your numbers. But if you're trying to grow at some point, that's a good time to start working on your numbers, you know, because when I had fewer employees, I charged less. Um, and only when I had to charge more because it cost, it's expensive to have employees. Like, you know, it, if I pay somebody $20 an hour, um, eight years ago, it just cost $20 an hour, right? Now it costs $20 an hour plus 18% for workers comp plus 11% for employer's tax. So it's 28% more, right? So it's like $26 an hour is what my cost is, right? Um, I wasn't billing for $26 an hour, I was billing for 20 an hour, you know? And so figuring out where your numbers need to be, if you're planning to grow, um, that would probably be ideal. So that way, um, when you do grow, when it is time to step away or to take on more guys, you at least know where your numbers need to be. Um, and then if you're trying to grow, you should pay attention to where your leads come from. You know, if you buy leads, what's your return on investment? Um, if it's referrals or repeat, like you should be tracking that stuff because it's really important for me. It's really important to know where my leads are coming from, what the closing rate is on all of them, um, which ones are worth putting more money or time into, which ones are not. Um, yeah, it's really dependent on if you want to stay small or if you want to grow, like the most important things to you. Um, and at that small level, starting the company culture is really important. You yeah. know, getting people to buy in and be on the same page and probably doing some team building type stuff every now and then. You know. And I think we've talked about it before on here. But I mean, I think the number one metric I'd be tracking when you're a one man band is your hourly charge rate. Like, yeah, absolutely. What, what are you actually charging per hour to do the work? And yeah, because when you're alone, it's a lot easier to continue to rate that. As you get more people on board, first of all, you have to have it at a, at a, at a number high enough to even afford to have an employee and have it be profitable endeavor, which yeah. a ton of guys, I think, have employees that 
they're not charging enough to even make sense to have them because they're not making them. Yeah. And I wish I, I would have understood that better when I was a one person company is how to stop hiring more people and start closing less bids at higher prices, staying just as right. building a rep. That's scary to do though. It is. Yeah. So much scary to do to work and then have to hire right. guys and then find out you made yeah. no money. Yeah. Um, so we, that's what we did, right? Is we got a ton of business. We, so in our biggest year, I think we had, um, I don't know, maybe $7 million in bids that we did. And we did uh, a little under $3 million in business. Um, and it was just like calls are coming in constantly, like 40 calls a week, you know, 40 new calls a week is crazy. Um, and yeah, so just hiring people on, right? And, and everything seems good because money is just in and out of the bank, right? In and out. But because we didn't have our numbers really dialed in at that scale, it's like it was such a hard lesson to learn, you know, to go through that and then to scale back down. And now our prices are higher. Right. So that was another uh, side effect of that is we have to get jobs. We have to put work on the schedule. Right. Like we have to come up. So at that time we were, um, dude, we were like trying to do. 70 or $80,000 a week, something like that. And it's like at 5,000 a pop, right? Uh, <laughs> it was nuts. Um, so we would do discounts to get projects from time to time, right? If we need to, we need a project for two weeks from now, right? We got to get somebody on the books. We've got four guys with nothing to do. Um, and so we spent a lot of time doing that, chasing projects, trying to get them in. Um, we could have easily scaled back and kept 20 guys busy, no problem, right? And kept our prices without doing any discounts. But like once that ball gets rolling, it's really hard to stop it. You know, it's like now we need 60 grand a week, you know, to cover our costs or whatever it is, right? Um, so this year we're raising our prices on quite a bit of stuff. We don't need every project that we look at. This is how I started, you know, this is how like 10 years ago, it was like this. I don't need to get every job. Uh, there's plenty that I can say no to if I don't think it's a good fit. Um, you know, the, the bad feeling you get with a client or a project where it's like, I don't know if I want to work for that person. You know, I used to, uh, ignore it. Just, yeah, <laughs> there are plenty of times that I ignore it and then it always bites you. Right. Um, but now we're back to kind of that original mindset where it's like, not everybody's going to be a good fit, right? We don't have to do every project. Um, our prices should be a little higher. It gives us a healthier margin. We can keep, keep everything above board. Uh, just a better, better process all the way around for us and for the client. You know, it's better for our employees. It's better for everybody. Awesome. We got some more questions. Hamilton's London said, where do you get most of your work? Most of our work. Um, I think Yelp is our biggest lead provider. Um, I ran some numbers on this stuff a little earlier. 
All right, so Yelp gives us most of our leads, but our most sales come from uh, repeat clients. So repeat clients, we did 530K in estimates on the last six months, I think, 290K in contracts. Yelp was 800K in estimates, 260K in contracts. Wow. So Yelp gives us a huge amount of leads, um, but like a 28% close rate. Our repeat um, gives us 290K and it's like a 60% close rate, something like that. So Yelp, uh, we don't pay for advertising or anything like that with them. I've tried to, um, but it's our leads were worse when we paid. So I don't know how that all worked out, but um, so Yelp during, during our biggest year, we were probably getting 30 calls a week just from Yelp. You know, just we're highly rated. We had tons of reviews. Um, and we just literally 25, 30 new calls every single week, you know, new opportunities. And then we had a repeat, our referrals, stuff like that. Um, we'll mess around with some lead services like in the winter time. In our winter time, we don't get like weather really. <laughs> um, but January, February slows down. I think it's just because it's coming off of Christmas. You know, it's like everyone's done spending money for a few months and then usually tax time and then all year long we're slammed. So January, February, March are our slowest time of the year. And through those months, I'll pay for some marketing just to keep, keep the calls coming in, you know, keep our demand up. Um, or I'll send out a newsletter, you know, like an email to clients. You know, we have a mailing list. I don't ever use it unless it's like I need to scrounge up some work for something. Um, but even that, it's like if we send out an email for some kind of discounts or, hey, we have a week to fill. You know, today, if I send out an email and I said, hey, um, we're starting September. Uh, fourth week of September, we have two spots to fill. Uh, we're giving a 10% discount on the estimate that we sent you this year. Like we'll probably get 20 grand, right? 20 grand signed up from an email like that. But it's, I mean, but we have like, I don't know, 400 people that we gave estimates to in the past few months that that's going to. You know, if we go to our mailing list, it's like 6,000 or 7,000 people that we've done work for. I'm not sure. And so. I've sent out estimates to 400 people in my career. <laughs> uh, Different, different uh, business types. It's um, all, it's so incredible. But so, Before you keep going farther, Jake asks, what program are you using? And he wants to know his breakdown. You were talking about in the last question, Jake, he just answered how one of the first metrics that you would track is typing stuff in. But I'm assuming you just put into a spreadsheet of some sort, like a Excel. On our, our estimates, our leads? No, where the lead came from. Do you have a program specifically for tracking that or where do you put that information? So we use QuickBooks for all of our accounting and Oh no. In there we customized our, you got me? Yeah, you're back now. Can you hear me? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So in QuickBooks, we can customize our estimates. And so we add on a tab there for like where the lead came from, lead source. Um, 
in there we can select whatever it is you know if it's a referral yelp uh, google our website whatever um and then i can just run a report on it you know so i could do a report by lead source or i could do a report by estimator right i still do some estimates but dane my estimator does most of them so i can compare my numbers against his right once a month or every other month and make him feel bad about it every um oh does that talks the same crap yeah i still outsell my guy before i walk <laughs> yeah i think it's like uh part of it's got to be that i don't need it right i really i seriously think that people it has some effect on clients right if you don't need their project they want you you know uh and then i think the confidence you know, uh, for years, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I know that we would serve you well. Um, I know that if we're not the best, we're going to be one of the best companies you could choose. I think that is, is felt or seen or something, right? Like that's something that people read or, or catch on to. So I'm sure that helps. Um, but yeah, that's kind of funny. There's no question. The, I, I just did a two hour long podcast interview for the PCA's new show and they had an expert in sales on and, and but that's what I was talking about. I was like, I, I'm only there to see if we're a good fit and to like find out if I want to date you as much as you want to date me. And yeah. I'm not here to make you buy anything. And yeah. I'm, I'm agnostic either we, this is a good fit or it's not. And when you can approach sales in that, that way of like, I don't need people smell desperation a mile away. That's I. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, cutting out there. Yeah. Yes, people can smell desperation for sure, and I think they're drawn to the confidence. They're drawn to you know if you show some expertise or like you know what you're talking about. Um, I think they're new. Um, but yeah, I think the, the concept of us wanting to kind of feel them out, if it's somebody that we want to work for or not, uh, is lost on most people. You know, is this a client that you actually want to do work with? You know, I've, I've uh, been talking about this a long time, but like a Yelp for clients would be kind of nice. Um, oh, yeah. To see who the the good right like if if you get a five-star client who pays on time is not very picky uh great to work for it's like they're getting a 20 percent discount right <laughs> the ones that are rough you know they get whatever the other way but yeah it's it's important you know and and usually i think most people know like uh I knew I shouldn't have worked for this person, right? I just felt something about it. You know, that's like uh, uh, a big pain in the neck. I can usually end up losing, not making much money. Uh, it's kind of funny. There's one. Oh man, Instagram. I It's a love-hate relationship with these lives. We're, uh, John is connect. 
is cutting out on my end. I don't, he's frozen. Are you back? I can't hear you. No, we could do is we could back out and come back in and that would, that will probably fix it. I can't hear anything. I'm going to, I'm going to back out and come back on. Can you guys all hear me? Somebody say something in the comments if you can hear me or can you hear John? This is so weird. Then here at ZK Live. All right, John's going to leave and come back. No one commented in the bottom, so none of you can hear me. <laughs> there we go. Carney saves the day. All right. I think this is the secret is when that ha when one lag happens once, it it never goes away in some way. It back on? There we go. Yeah, I think from now on I'm going to have if any if we ever lag it, no, it eventually it comes up and catches us. That yeah. little like blip, I always like, oh, now it's back. Every time that happens, later on, there's an issue. Uh, but I can hear you perfect now. All right, cool. What were oh, we were, we were about to talk about this question from the retainer. Is your estimator taking video? No, not yet. But I've talked with the right retainer about that, and it's a it's a good system. I think. Um, I probably have to try and do it myself, I guess, to figure out because so right now what he does is he goes out and does measurements of everything, notes on everything, and then pictures of everything. So I would imagine you could just do a video too, you know, and kind of do the whole, the same thing that way. The one issue that we have from, so my estimator is not a painter. He's never been a painter. He's never been any position in the painting industry. Just a salesperson. So he's been with me for maybe like three years, three or four years now. Um, and he's learned a lot over the years, but uh, he's still not, he's not an experienced painter, you know, so he doesn't know everything about the types of issues we run into or whatever. Something that, you know, peeling trim, how much time that actually adds onto a project, right? It's like, he thinks, what's the big deal? Probably just take a couple hours, right? It's like, no, it'll take four people two days, right? Um, so stuff like that. And the videos with, so when he's taking pictures, it's like a snapshot of the side of the house, right? A snapshot of the front of the house. But a video would probably help us see everything, like more details. Um, I think for Sam, I think he goes through it with his guys, you know, and like makes comments about notes, right? Like the eaves on this side are peeling real bad. We're going to need to scrape them out. There's this equipment, that equipment, whatever, you know, these are the things that we need for the job site, um, which would be ideal. The, the biggest issue I have is having loss from the estimator to me, to foreman, you know, there's, there's information that gets missed in that handoff. Um, and most of it's probably from the estimator, not being a painter, not having painting experience. He doesn't know the minute details that are important to us painters, you know? 
he knows the general notes, the general details, but not the, the little details that can eat up hours in a day. Um, but yeah, videos, I think that would be a good idea for sure. But right now it's photos and then uh, notes and measurements. Do you provide, do you have, do you take photos and put them in the estimates? Uh, no, we don't. That's an option. Um, like estimate rocket um, is something we've been messing around with for a little while now. Um, we might use it at some point. I'm just not positive yet. Um, look, there are a hundred different ways that we can increase our closing ratio. Literally a hundred different ways. We could do photos in our estimates if we wanted to, and I bet that would sell a couple more clients. Um, we could do better follow-up, and I bet that would sell a couple more clients. We can do, um, you know, uh, uh, send a mailer the week after the project. If, if they don't sign with us, send them a, a mailer one week later, right, and probably increase our closing ratio. You know, hey, thanks for having us out to your house, blah, 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 right? Um, we could send a mailer out one month later with a 5% discount if we really want that project, right? Increase our closing ratio. There's a hundred different things that we could do. So because we're in a position where we can't do more work, you know, we can't do more than we're getting now. We don't have to explore a lot of those things, you know, but it's like if we were trying to grow right now, let's say um, in 2021, I want to do $10 million in business. That's when I would have to get out all those tools. You know, that's when I would have to use all those techniques and all those tricks to get more products in. Um, that's when I have to be really dialed in on what my return on investment is for all these lead services. You know, like um, some people talk about how some of these lead services are garbage and whatever. It's like the numbers, you can get bad leads, but if you get enough good ones to justify the cost, then it's a net positive, you know. If you get 10 leads and you spend 500 bucks on those leads, you only get one job out of it. It's like, man, I got 10 leads. They're all garbage except for one. Well, if that one gave you more than $500 in profit, then it's worth it, right? Just, it's a numbers game, you know? Um, assuming you have scale on your side. And, assuming that. And yeah. Otherwise, if you don't have scale on your side, then the opportunity cost. Opportunity cost, for sure. Might. Yes. Expense for smaller companies, I think rarely. If you're doing high quality work as a small company, those lead services are not really designed for you. No, they're definitely not. The I think I think a lot of lead services probably take advantage of the small companies. Oh yeah, uh, because they're pretty high cost. Like um, you know, Home Advisor. Uh, we we keep a membership with them, uh, which I think we pay. I don't know, 80 bucks a year, a hundred bucks a year, one time, something like that. Um, but like for an exterior repaint lead, it's like 120 bucks, you know? And it's like, so before they were home advisors, they used to be service magic. That's how they started out. And I was really early in on it. And so we got a ton of reviews, you know, we've got, I don't know, 50 or 75 reviews, all five stars going back like nine or 10 years, you know, something crazy. So, if we bid a project with all of our reviews on there, we're like the only ones that have that many reviews. You know, it's like another painter's gonna have two reviews or us with five star, you know, 60 reviews, we're gonna get the project, you know. Um, but now they're really expensive. You know, that the, the lead today is 120 bucks. It used to be like 40, you know, 45. So it's a pretty big expense 
for the risk. For me, it's a numbers game. You know, if the if the cost to get to buy five leads, if I get enough back to pay for my cost, earn our profit, and there's 200 bucks extra to cover that lead, then it's worth it. You know, it's literally just a numbers game. Um, but you also have to have the marketing budget to be able to stomach that, you know, because buying 10 of those leads and spending $2,000 on exterior leads is a lot of cash to put out, you know? So I'm not, a. we don't really spend much money on marketing. This year was the first year where I kind of budgeted that we were going to spend like 1800 bucks a month on marketing. Um, and I had a couple of places I was going to put it, but we can't, we can't keep up with, uh, just the calls that we get in organically. So kind of funny. It's good. Good problem. All right. But, yeah. The, uh, that's where I, you should take that and you should put that money to a, uh, a full-time videographer, photographer that just yeah. documents all your work all the time. And yeah, that's, that's the long game that if you start doing now, just pays off. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, messed around with the idea of building an app, you know, that kind of ties everything in together for what we do, like all of our automation. But that's expensive, you know, it's like a hundred grand just to enter that world. You know, yeah. it's just crazy. There's a couple companies that do it fairly well. I think Estimate Rocket's pretty good. Um, have you done anything with them yet? Uh, no, yeah. I I am, we are getting ready to make a switch and we're starting to, we're going to start to do some homework on it. Um, I'm probably going to be between work glue and mm. estimate rocket. Yeah. And right now, if I had to say, I'm probably leaning toward work glue. Yeah. Cause we're going to have to put in all the effort to build systems, to integrate it. And from what I understand, I think work glue probably has four capacities to to better serve us yeah. and if we're going to start from scratch and go down one path um i'm i honestly it could be it's almost a coin flip right now i've not spent a lot of time thinking about it but it's it's going to be something that we i massively underutilize my crm right now yeah point where it's like it's it's just laughable um yeah. and so we're with carney on board now my assistant we're going to that's one of the things we need to tackle. So I'm, I'm excited to really start to compare and contrast the two of them. Yeah. I think uh, estimate rocket is probably the best one out right now. Um, for most people, I think Workflow is the most robust. Like um, if I were going to start all over right now, I'd probably build everything in Workflow. Um, but we, we built everything in QuickBooks, so which is really difficult for the average person to do because it's an accounting software. It's not a painter software. It's not a painter accounting software. It's just straight up accounting. So even understanding the accounting terms as they are in real life, um, it's tricky. It's confusing. You know, it's like it was very hard for me. I, I didn't build it out, first off. I had an accountant build it out. And then even now, I don't enter or do anything with any of the transactions because I'll screw something up, right? It's like, I'll put something in the wrong account or apply it to something the wrong way. And then my whole accounting system screwed up and we don't know where the problem is. 
but there's a problem and numbers aren't matching up, right? Um, but, but it has everything that we do. It's all of our invoicing, estimating, um, keep track of all of our finances, all of our payroll comes out of there, right? It's like, it does everything for us. So um, I stay with it. For Estimate Rocket, the only reason I'm even looking into it is because they have a pretty good automation setup, pretty good automation system. They have a drip campaign for marketing, which could be valuable to someone like me, could be valuable to someone on the smaller side who, you know, maybe they don't do that many estimates. It's a pretty easy system to use, has a CRM built into it. Um, but I don't know if I could use the drip system all the time, which is why I haven't committed yet. But I've been paying them 55 bucks a month for the last six months. <laughs> I think I'm going to sit down and like you're supposed to do in the hiring process and write down all the things that I want it to do yeah. before I even go look at them. Yeah. I think they, they have, they both have like sexy bells and whistles that right. make you like, Oh my God, I can do this amazing thing. I signed on with house call pro yeah. because of one thing I book an estimate in house call pro and it sends them a confirmation email and text right away. I like that. But then uh, there's a button in my app that says on my way. And before I, 30 minutes before <laughs> I get to the job, I yeah. hit this button and it sends them a notification saying that I'm on my way. Yeah. And that was all it took. And I was like, I've been giving these guys 70 bucks a month. Like, I don't even know <laughs> years. Yeah. And and that's where I think I really need to be objective about this. And I, I need to write, what do I want out of this? What are all my best case scenario, all the things, and then go compare the two. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough. We spent a lot of time um, trying out software programs that we ended up not using, you know, it's like we went down the rabbit hole on them and it's like, for me, it, so for my uh, um, consultant that came on board, he liked a lot of them, right? Because it comes from a business world. And for him, it's only scaling, only numbers. There's no people. It's not opinions. It's not personalities. It's not anything, right? It's numbers, ones and zeros. That's it. And he would bring in a system and it's like, okay, uh, let's try this out. We put it into in our process and it's like, okay, well, the guys sometimes can't clock in or clock out. It's difficult to use on site. When there's an issue, it's hard to fix. It takes another person managing it. Like there's all these things where for me as a business owner, I still need something to be like user friendly. I don't want to make my guys do any more than they have to, right? Like I don't want to make them jump through hoops to do the simple, the thing that should be simple to do. Um, it's not just ones and zeros for me. Right? Like I needed something that's still a little more personalized, gets the job done the way that we want it to, but not just numbers, you know, it has to be user friendly. You know, I also like things to look nice. Like I like my calendar right now. I'm looking at my calendar. It's beautiful. It's all color coded. I see all the projects there, all the employees there. It's nice to look at, you know, it's click and drag and drop. It's really nice to use. Um, but we went through a lot of programs and stuff to like, figure it out you know paid a lot of did a lot of trials um 
We tried a few of them. Some of the ones that are really robust are hard to implement because it takes so long to build it. And then to train somebody, it's like, it's, it's a job, you know, to teach somebody how to use it. Um, and then somebody has to manage the program. You know, most of them are not just plug and play. You know, you got to build them all out and then you got to manage them. Some of these programs, like if you don't, if you just let it go for a week or two, it's like, it doesn't work anymore. You know, you miss, you're missing all the, the fun things that it does because you're not staying on top of it all the time. Yeah. My bookkeeper has to do a lot more extra work because I don't always send invoices to clients money like mm -hmm. i'd say well over half of our projects like we don't send out a formal invoice for the yeah. formal invoice for the final payment yeah. and you know just underutilizing the program like i don't even know how to take an estimate and cut it into two separate invoices for deposit and final payment like i just never went down that road yeah and so if you look at my crm it's unreal how bad it is like i mean yeah. I've, I've resent invoices because like, oh, can you send it this way? And then, oh, can you send it this other way instead? And there, now there's two invoices sent to this client. Yeah. I rarely record if they actually sent those checks or not. Like, yeah. and that's where I, I'm really lucky that I'm on this, this precipice of about, of getting ready to like start from scratch. And I, I understand how valuable this opportunity is. And I have a great person in place. My assistant is incredibly like system oriented and analytical and she's going to get us implemented on whatever we do. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we're doing the one that lets us grow into it. And, and we don't get two years in and are like, Oh man, we've maxed out. I wish it did all these. Right. Other things. Yeah. Cause like you, I'm sure like you don't want to switch them. like you, right. you're deep and it, it all works. And the effort it will take to change is, so much a lot yeah 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 but that's like you know i spent a lot of time getting yelled at for making invoices the wrong way or not having so like we do our credit card payments through square square takes out like 0.28 percent so square doesn't communicate with quickbooks in the correct way so that 0.28 percent we have to account for in our invoice so it's like and and i have to send a follow-up email with Square. You know, Square payment comes in, forward it to the accounting. Um, this payment is for this project, right? Um, otherwise, it's like they're just looking at numbers and trying to guess what that payment is even to. You know, like, okay, we have six payments. Where do they go, right? Trying to search through open invoices. If I created an invoice, if I didn't, and it's not even open, you know, then you're checking the schedule. It's, it's a whole mess. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time, like, getting schooled on, why the things I'm doing are making it so much harder on everyone else. You know, if I could just, just create an invoice, that's it. You don't have to do anything else. Right. Yeah. I think we have some more questions. Do you, can you go, you want to, we have five, we can either wrap it up in five minutes. Let's do that. Let's wrap it up in five minutes. <laughs> DIY tip for everybody out there. All right. Um, on Excel or on Google Sheets, if you put two numbers in two boxes, if you want to add those or multiply them or subtract them or divide them or anything, 
in the box below it, put the equals sign, the word sum, one parentheses, click on the box, click on the other box, and another parentheses, and voila, you have a magic addition or subtraction or multiplication or whatever. Like just spreadsheets seem overwhelming in the beginning. I never got any formal training on spreadsheets, but I use them all the time. Like you can, if you're a one man shop, if you're a hundred man shop, spreadsheets are good. Just try a couple simple um, calculations. It's really, I don't know much about spreadsheets, but I can build one kind of about anything that I need. Um, simple to do, just try it. Like Google Sheets is free. Just set up a Gmail account. Uh, we don't even use Excel at all. We just use the drive. Figure out how to build a one equation on spreadsheet. We have a minute and 45 seconds left. I'm going to end it and we'll come back and we'll keep talking for a little bit. Cause all right. uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So maybe we won't, we don't have to speed up that fast. Let's take a minute. There's a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, why do they disappear between? Um, well, the ones I wanted to put up. Oh, I this question, Jake, you can clarify, but I'm guessing this is getting at how much of the, because I posted your spreadsheet that you had put up. Yeah. I'm guessing, Jake, you're asking how much of that financial information do you share with your employees? I'm, I, I'd like to know, because I know some companies are, like, I, there's a guy, H.J. Uh, Holtz, that runs a, like, open book, somewhat, like, profit-sharing model. Yeah. Um, yeah, profit-sharing model is probably good one day. Um, I don't hide it from them, and I don't necessarily put it out there. Um, I do review our numbers, like... Uh, so with my foreman, they'll get more transparency. Um, typically, it's people that have have done side jobs or worked for themselves. They understand what the real numbers are. If a project's ten grand, they know that's not ten grand in my pocket. You know. Yeah. Um, all right. What you can post in what he did mean. Yeah. yeah. Put it in the little question so I can uh, put put it up later. But I do have some. Uh, like I said, I don't hide it at all. If the guys want to know how much this project cost, I'll tell them, you know, I'll tell them how much it costs for materials, approximately how much it should cost for labor. Um, so we've messed around with bonus structures from time to time. And the latest one that we were using was based off of what our margin is. You know, this is what my budget is for labor. If you guys come in under this, you get whatever's left over, right? Um, if you come in over this, you get a talking to you know um but it was like the same people that were losing money all the time were always losing money all the time you know um but yeah we have messed around with stuff like that jake please clarify all right um someone was asking about uh percent uh Profit margins, percentages, gross, gross. Like, what is your gross profit goals to equal certain net profits? Like, you have all that sort of worked out. I'm sure you do. You have spreadsheets galore. Yes. Yeah. So we 
Um, our numbers, I think, are pretty standard for the industry. Like, if you talk to any bigger companies, uh, we're aiming for like 40, 45% for our labor costs, 15% um, for our materials. Um, and then our, um, our net profit right now is hovering in the 15% range. Um, I think that leaves our um, overhead around 20%. So then our gross profit would be 35%, net profit 15 so 20% is overhead, that's paying all the bills, estimator, whatever, you know, equipment, maintenance, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, we're trying to keep, our labor is the biggest fluctuating number. Our materials are 15% like to a T, you know, every now and then it might be 13%, once in a while it might be 16, but 15% is highly accurate, like year over year, you know, I don't know how that number keeps staying the same, but it's really accurate. Yeah. Jake wanted his question was a piece of advice for employees. Let's start there. A piece of advice for employees. Mm, employees make yourself valuable. Yes. With every uh, every employee that I hire, period, forever, um, I tell them the same thing. Like you know, um, after they're hired, you know, was like, look. If you make yourself valuable, I'm going to do whatever I can to never let you go, right? Make yourself valuable to me. And I don't expect a lot, right? But if you're reliable, that's really valuable to me. You, If you're on time and every now and then we have a product that runs late and you can stay till 530 and get it wrapped up and clean it up, that's really valuable to me, you know? I don't need you to be a highly skilled painter. Um, for me, my value is in your character, how you treat the client, how you work with the other guys, how you uh, clean up, being on time, like being flexible, whatever. That stuff's really valuable to me. So you can be an apprentice and be highly valuable to me. But that's basically the spiel I give everyone, right? It's like, make yourself valuable to me. You know, if you're an average guy, I need average guys too. I can keep you forever at 15 bucks an hour, 16 bucks an hour. I'll, I'll keep you busy for the rest of your life if you want to be at that level, right? No problem. That's fine by me. I need those guys. Um, but if you're one of those guys and you want to go somewhere else for a dollar more and you ask me for a dollar more, I'm probably not going to give it to you, you know, because I could get another average person, right? Um, but if you're an apprentice and you're really reliable and, and valuable to me and everybody likes working with you and clients like you, and you say you want a dollar more, I'm probably going to give it to you because I want to keep you on board, right? I want to keep you with us. I see investing, value in investing in you. Um, make yourself valuable. That's probably the biggest thing for an employee. Like whatever it is, whatever, it's probably reliability, I would imagine, is most important for most business owners. You know, being somebody you can count on. Um, that's most valuable to me, though, for sure. Above painting skill is reliability. Yeah, I agree. I 100%. I think it's, there's nothing better than knowing that, than not worrying about if someone's showing up. Yeah. Today. Absolutely. Once you've had someone that you're worrying is showing up, yeah. it makes you grateful for the guys you know that, yeah, I, I'm not worried if I'm going to get a call. Right. It's going to be an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For business owners, piece of advice for business owners. Uh, you know, I mean, it probably would still be track your numbers. Um, but I think 
maybe a little more creative answer would be um, figure out uh, how you want to be perceived, like what impression you want to give people about your business. You know, you want to be uh, just a can-do guy. We can do everything. We're small. We're mom and pop shop. We're craftsman style. You know, everything's in house. We don't sub anything out. You know, we can whatever like that kind of style. You could still scale that, but it's probably a little harder. Um, but like, what what kind of image do you want to put out there? You know, because it's that starts pretty early. And I think it's pretty hard to change once you're into it, you know. Um, someone like Shoreline, that's a pretty hard position to be in, to be at that scale and that high end. Like, it's not a, you know, that's not that common of a it's company. It's exceedingly rare. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even, even a small company that does that high end of work is not that common right let alone scaling that up um yeah but i think that whatever image you want to put out there is really important you know if you're planning on being in the business long term figure out what kind of image you want to have and then protect it you know promote it um for for me i wanted to be reliable that's what i value that's what i place importance on um, it was beat into my head when I'm a one man shop and I show up on time and it's like, wow, you're the only guy who showed up on time. Wow. You're the only guy who answered the phone. You know, like those things are valuable to me. You know, if I'm, if I have an appointment at five o'clock and I'm going to be there at five Oh two, I'm going to call the client ahead of time and say, Hey, it looks like I'm going to be there about five Oh two. Right. Cause for me, if I have an appointment at five o'clock and five o'clock comes and goes, and 501, 502, I'm like, I, I don't even know if this person's going to show up or not, right? It's like, give somebody a heads up. But for me, it was, I wanted to be reliable and dependable, and you can count on me. And, you know, at this stage, it's like, I'll be honest with people, um, you know, like, we can make mistakes, you know, we're a, a 20 employee company, mistakes can happen, but we also fix them all. Like it's a non-issue, it's not even a question for me, right? Like we've been in business for 16 years, 17 years, and we're not going anywhere. You know, if, if a mistake happens, I'll take care of it 100%. You know, we stand behind our work, we give warranties on our work. It's not even a question with us. You know, my re I tell people, my reputation is extremely important to me and I want to maintain it. You know, I want to give them some, some reason to believe me. You know, my rep reputation is really valuable to me cost me a hundred dollars to fix something it's no problem you know we'll do it every day right but yeah i think the image image that you want to put that out there is really important i agree i think it's it's important to not be everything to everybody and figure yeah. out who you who it is that you serve well and yeah. then hyper focus on just them and yeah. those other people that are in the corner giving you feedback your prices are too high or your right. price or it, whatever the feedback is if it's not coming from your ideal client right it's not easy to do but you got to ignore it yeah and yeah that's a good point that's exactly for us we're not you know we tell people flat out like we're not a bargain company you know we're not we do high quality work we pay more money for materials we buy higher quality stuff if you need something like a blow and go project we're not going to be right for you you know, and that, you know, you could call somebody else and probably pay a thousand bucks less than us 
and get a fine job for what you're looking for. Um, we're just not the right fit, you know, because I don't want to waste my time or their time going to look at this project. You know, it's not, we definitely have a client type, you know, and we couldn't. So if we go an hour inland, there's a whole different market, right? Like we could not duplicate our business there. We can go south along the coast and north along the coast. We can duplicate there, but not inland. You know, it's a different demographic. It's less money. We wouldn't work there. Like I couldn't charge enough. Um, they wouldn't pay enough, you know, so it's definitely, yeah, knowing your market and try not to deviate from that for sure. Yeah. And it, it's, it's so key to know and make sure that everything you do aligns with it Yeah, and, and not everything, but two things align right. with serving my, <laughs> yeah, because people go, well, I liked every, everything was perfect, but those two things. Right. Make me not trust now. Yes, absolutely. If you're doing super high quality work and your customer service is amazing, your client communication is great, and then you show up in this like beat up old truck, right. yep. like, wait a second, that doesn't line up with all right. the things that I experienced, and it's harder to get trust. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that we're about out of questions there. So somebody else asked one up. If you guys have more questions, feel free. But uh, so we did our DIY tip. I, I'm going to make an effort to do something with a spreadsheet in the next two weeks. Just look, try to do one simple. This is one I did uh, a couple days ago. Um, I built one to calculate my man hours. You know, we have like other systems for that, but this one, I just wanted to build a quick, simple one that I can just plug in a number and voila, pops it out. So um, I can base our man hours off of like $350 a day for an eight hour day for a person. Our numbers kind of work out to be a pretty good average. So it's not exact, but I just want a quick number so I get a quick idea. Okay, 132 man hours. You know, how many days for two guys? three guys, four guys, five guys, you know, so it spits out all those numbers. So all I had to have is one line where it's like our total price, $10,000. Um, the other line is divided by 350. Um, the other one is um, uh, divided by eight. So it gives me man hours and then times or divided by two guys, three guys, four guys, five guys. So if I just punch in $10,000, there's my whole list of how many guys I would have there for how many days. You know, two guys for 6.5 days, three guys for 4.5 days, whatever. It's like really simple to do stuff like that. It seems difficult at first, but if you just learn like a couple simple calculations, it's like really easy to do. It's and worth it to try. I, I, I was good at computer class. I, I took all those Excel <laughs> classes and I got, I, I know how to do it. Yeah. It's sitting in front of a computer. Cause I'm the guy I'll do it the first time. Yeah. I'll never go look at that spreadsheet ever. Yeah. I do that too. I'm guilty of that too. I have, I have 30 tabs open on my computer right now of stuff that I'm going to get back to at some point. <laughs> Constantly do that. But that's like, you know, um, when I brought on the business consultant full time, I kind of told him, my other staff, like my vision is that, I want to be a rock star and I want you guys to just make sure I don't go crazy. 
right? That's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to be the team that keeps me in check, lets me know how much money I can spend, how much I can't spend. Let me know if I need more projects or less projects or more employees or less employees. Like, I just want to go out there and, and do all that fun stuff. But you guys keep an eye on me that I'm not getting out of control, right? I'm not getting out of hand. Um, because that's my, my desire. And the fun part for me is like selling projects, you know, like I want to, it would be fun for me to be able to sell as much as possible, I, but I don't have the manpower to support it. You know, I can't even try it. Right. Um, so I just try to kind of take some of that motivation to like building a really clean company, you know, and having profit, you know, real profit and cover the bills and schedules booked out and money's in the bank. Like those are my goals now. They're kind of more boring, more grown up, but I have to direct it somewhere. <laughs> I love it. All right. What's your favorite piece of paint paraphernalia? Um, boy. I think the the newer one that I use probably most often is um, the little purdy five in one that folds up. Um, that thing is cool. I like that. Um, like I have that in a little uh, utility knife in my side door in my truck. You know, those are two that I've probably, those would be like the two things that I keep on me all the time, my entire career painting. And but that's a it's a cool little tool i like that the five in one you know they have the other one um z corp or something like that it has the blade on it but it's too big and bulky huge yeah you're gonna you're gonna dent the cabinet or scratch <laughs> yeah walking through a job site with that thing on yep yeah so that's probably uh one that i still really use quite a bit today you strike me as the kind of guy that probably has the same utility knife that he's had for quite a while. Did I definitely am a saver. I like to buy a nice utility knife and keep it forever. And it drives me crazy when my guys, you know, if I get on site and it's like, I might, I try to keep morale up, you know, and I don't want to be a, a boss who's like, I don't work, you guys work, you know, like that kind of stuff. I don't like that. So if I'm on a project a little early or something like that, like, you know, I'll help get the plastic sheeting pulled out or whatever. And if I get on a job site, I'm like, Hey, where's your blade? You know, and one of my guys doesn't have a blade. Oh, I forgot. I'm like, dude, that's, that kills me. Cause those are, those are the only two things that I'm like, I always kept those on me at all times, my entire painting career. So at my old crew always has a blade on them. I never have a blade on me. Yeah. I, I've conservatively, I've owned, a hundred utility knives in my career. Yeah. I, I have a rich history of flying through and losing many, many, many. There's some little troll underneath the bridge that steals utility knives that's loving me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's your, I, I struggle. I'm a, I'm a energetic guy. It's all over the place and I'm over <laughs> <laughs> and you got that like chill California thing going where I just yeah. you, were, you were someone that had the same how old is your utility knife you think uh well it might actually be a couple of years still um yeah I don't like buying the cheap ones you know I forget who um maybe Alpha got a couple of custom made ones like some nice wood handles for the five in ones I think he gave one to Philip and uh, like that kind of stuff, 
I, I would take that, you know, like some custom wood handle, you know, on a five in one and keep it forever. That kind of stuff. I, I like that. I would have to frame it and put it on a wall if I ever wanted to see it two years later. Yeah. Not me. I keep I, that stuff. Stay away from that kind of stuff. I still, with utility knives, I'm buying the cheap utility knives because. At, I can't stand the cheap ones. <laughs> I just don't use them very much anymore. Yeah. And I, I buy the, the same ones from Home Depot all the time. The Husky. Yeah. yeah. And inevitably i mean it's it's just laughable how many i've lost at this point yeah but my guys always have them on them yeah gotta have it definitely a better owner than i was employee yeah i was uh i wasn't the best employee yeah i was a pretty good employee I did what i was told i worked my butt off i, I sh from the second i showed up to the Second the day ended, I was like so 100% focused on producing and at a high quality. Yeah. I was quite often told like, hurry up, man. We're not getting paid to make it that nice. Yeah. Got to chill out. Yeah. Not a, uh, <laughs> we're not truly doing a restoration of these old windows <laughs> that you need to scrape the loose paint, spot prime and let's go. Yeah. And I'd be sitting there like, what is Santa till it was, you couldn't tell, like, <laughs> feather the old to the new. <laughs> I was never a big details guy like that. I wanted to get in and get out. Um, the thing that bothered me, the whole reason I started trying to go out on my own was just because there's a income cap, you know, working for another company. I didn't have potential for bonuses or anything like that. Um, you know, and it was like, I just want to have some more unlimited potential, you know, it's the main thing. If my boss would have gave me a raise at the time before I left. I probably would have stayed at least a couple more years, you know. I've heard uh, uh, Johnny Horahan. Here's Johnny. He's uh, one of the guys from Modern Craftsman podcast. He tells the same exact story. Yeah. He's like, I, I probably would never have started my company if my boss would have just recognized my, the value I was adding and gave me a little respect and actually gave me that small raise. I requested. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely could have changed things. That was it. You know, it was like, I need a little more earning potential. Yeah. And probably some appreciation I'm sure would have done something, you know, for me. Um, but sorry. Right. Yeah. It worked out. Awesome. And then, Yes. So now the best part is my, this is my favorite question. I, I'm, you know, this question's coming. Hopefully I have plenty of time to think about it. Uh, give us your worst horror story, most embarrassing, biggest catastrophe that's ever happened in your painting career. Um, boy, I don't know if it's most embarrassing, but we took on this project. It was like our first really big project, you know, it was like 90 grand commercial building. Um, and we did it. It was metal panels, you know, they're like three feet tall, 15 feet wide, just flat metal panels on outside of this building. And they had a coating on them already. Um, but the, the walls are like two or 300 feet long, three stories high. So we got a couple of booms out there. We did samples on the lower panels, like at standing level. 
and samples were great, perfect, laid out nice, everything we're using a two-part product. And so we got approved, everything, you know, we had a little spec sheet done, everything. The um, owners of the building approved everything. And then when it was time to start production, um, we couldn't replicate it on a smooth three foot by 15 foot panel. You know, this whole building is just smooth panels, you know? So it's like, you see spray lines, you see overnight because of the moisture, the, um, the dew was creating uh, fogging, you know, uh, blushing in the coating. Oh, it was a nightmare. I, I was there, we had two booms out there the whole time, you know, cause it's like, we didn't send them back because as soon as we get this finished right, we're gonna knock it out, right? So I'm paying like 120 bucks a day while I'm doing samples, you know, I'm testing samples. And I was there, we had a regular work schedule going on and I had to do those jobs to cover my losses here. So I would go there every day after work, like four o'clock, five o'clock and work on samples to like seven or eight and then go back the next day and see if they dried out or right or not. You know, I did this for like, man, maybe five weeks trying to figure it out. We ended up scrapping that product and went with a different product. Um, but man, that was a nightmare job. That was like, I learned a ton. That was a project where we got on the phone with the chemist, you know, to figure out why it's fogging, if we can get it to, to stop blushing, if it's an overnight temperature thing, if it's dew point, if it's the temperature from inside affecting the outside coating, all that stuff, you know, the types of thinners that we have. California has different thinner regulations, so we didn't get the good thinner here, you know, like they have there. So it was a good learning project, but man, it was a nightmare. Finally, like once we got it sorted out, we were done in like three weeks, just, you know, bang through it. But I spent probably five weeks, nights and weekends going there to figure it out. You know, it was a nightmare. Great learning project though. We ended up giving a two year warranty on that project. And I didn't go drive by that building till that warranty was up. I didn't want to see it. I was <laughs> like, after two years, I went and checked it out. It's like, oh, it looks great still. <laughs> but I did not want to, I just didn't even look at it. Couldn't even drive by it. That's oh, what product did you use on it? And which one did you, could you not get to your work? So depth 36 series, uh, um, uh, aliphatic polyurethane. And that one, we have a different thinner for California than other parts of the country. So the thinner that we have has more acetone. It's a hotter uh, thinner. So we tried to use some reducers um, to kind of balance it out, but we just couldn't, you know, and the, the, their specific sales rep came out and, you know, we tested the panels a couple different ways. You know, it's like, give it a week, the blushing will go away. We gave it a week, it didn't go away. And then we switched to, um, uh, what do we use the, um, is it Modern Masters? Uh, theme Paint. Um, I think that's the brand. But it was uh, like a high performance water base. So we use a two part epoxy primer and a high performance water base finish. Um, and it was great. And even now it's like eight years, nine years later, like looks amazing still. So it's good now, but it was a nightmare. But yeah, our thinners are a lot different here. Even our paint thinners are way different. Our lacquer thinners are different. Um, so, yeah. Crazy. All right. Well, yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for yeah, coming. Yeah, man, it was fun. For sure.
take a deep dive on these apps one of these days. Yes, I think we're, we're going to have to schedule another um, podcast and we'll just go over that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we do some screen what? viewing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We may be, uh, I'm, I'm con contemplating switching over to true podcast format, not live. Yeah. We don't have to deal with some of these live issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. They, they happen just about every podcast. Yeah. So... Uh, it's becoming as we get higher and higher profile client uh, guests on such as yeah. yourself, uh, <laughs> we want to make sure that everything goes smooth. So I yeah. just this uh, fancy podcasting microphone. Ah, nice. And uh, we're, I'm going to experiment with it. And then I'll still probably do my live show on Sunday. But yeah. I, the, the interactions with the, the people who are watching are so valuable. So I, I'm kind of torn. I think the live, um, the live experience as a viewer, I think is way more interesting in being able to have some input and even inputting with the other guys on the show. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff is an actual fun experience. Yeah. Um, versus a podcast. I think your podcast, yeah, maybe for your big, your big dogs, you know, like that. So it's more formal, you know? That yeah. Like, when I had the architect on, and it's lagging out, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. He's but, a good listen. That's it. He's a fun guy to listen to. Yeah. I, I really like having him on. I have yeah. two more architects coming up these next two weeks. Yeah. Next week, I have an architect. Then I have one on the 22nd. Yeah. Both very different. But I, I think uh, I really want to talk more to not just painters, but the designers and the architects and the people that can make our lives easy yeah. here if they want to mm -hmm. um, and yeah. try to bridge that gap. I feel like there's such a gap between our community as painters and the design community and the architecture yeah. community. Which is weird because we do interact a lot kind of on paper, you know? Yeah. I, I would think, but something about the way the dynamics are right now um yeah. it's not ideal so painters, well, painters are lowly yeah yeah <laughs> i know not anymore turning it around absolutely john thanks a lot got it man thank you have a good night all right you too